Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. My prayer has been that during these next few minutes, the Lord will surprise you, that he will shock you. Because here at Life, this phrase, come follow me, God's really led us to put a spotlight on that. But what that means for us, for some of us, that definition of discipleship seems really hard and very laborious, and you have to be an expert Christian, and my life is already too overwhelming to now have to go down that journey. And my prayer is that the Lord will surprise you, that when he says, come follow me, he has your best interest in mind. Let's pray. We're here, Lord. Speak to us uniquely, distinctly, individually. Would you nudge us, move us to that place of following you and walking into everything you have for us? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thanks, guys. Later this evening, I'm gonna get on a plane and that plane is gonna fly me home to Los Angeles. And I gotta get on the right plane. I can dream about going to Los Angeles, I can sincerely want to go to Los Angeles, I can read all about the GPS routes to get to Los Angeles, but if I get on a plane going to Sydney, I'm not gonna get to Los Angeles. Getting on the right plane really matters. No matter what you think, no matter how sincere you are, no matter what you're hoping for, you gotta get on the right plane. And when we talk about discipleship, if you have the wrong idea in your mind, it will hesitate you, it will hinder you from walking into everything God has for you. So we're gonna look at this idea of discipleship this morning, but we're gonna look at it from the words of Christ. Here's how he defined discipleship for you. It comes out of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Three words, come, learn, and take. Here at Life, we use the words belong, believe, and build. And this is what Jesus invites us into. And he gives us a picture of what our lives will look like if we will follow those directives of come, learn, and take. First he says, come to me, those of you who are weary, and come for rest in discipleship. Do you know that in discipleship, Jesus' priority is your rest? When we think of discipleship, we think of this arduous, difficult journey. I gotta memorize the book of Romans. I gotta fast for six weeks out of the year. And we think of all of this weight that comes on us. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. When it comes to discipleship, it begins with rest. That there are some of you here and your thoughts, they just burden you. There's an anxiety, there's a worry. There's an exhaustion that life has just made you so tired. And the thought of doing more seems incapable. 
To Luke's point, it's like there's a bondage. I can't get any further. And Jesus says, here's where discipleship begins. You go, wait a minute, how does that work? How does belonging give me rest? Because what really wearies us is when we're worrying alone. When we're anxious and we don't know what decisions to make. When we're carrying weights of taking care of our kids or our fears of what's going on around us. And here's what Jesus says, in discipleship, you come to me, you belong together. And all of a sudden now you find spiritual friends who will help carry the burden with you. And you're no longer alone in carrying that burden. And rest comes because somebody is helping you carry it. You find somebody who's got more wisdom than you do. And they give you good counsel. And you start to make wise decisions. And some of that anxiety and some of that stress goes away. And you find yourself at a place of rest and peace. You find friends who will speak to you God's goodness and God's promise. And rather than living in this world where you are overwhelmed in trying to live life all by yourself, all alone, tackling all of the issues as best as you can alone, and then sometimes even coming to church with this veneer of a happy face on. Jesus says, here's what discipleship looks like. Rest. My priority is that you not live with the weight that I've never called you to live with. You will never find that rest alone. And our best role model of that is Christ himself. Can you imagine the weight he carried? And yes, some of that weight he had to carry on his own. But scripture teaches us that the night before he was going to die, he took his 12 spiritual friends and he went into a garden. He says, hey, pray for me. And then he took three friends of his that were even closer, kind of his inner circle, and he went farther up the mountain with them. And he makes this statement to them. My soul is full of anguish to the point of death. Here's what he's saying. Guys, this is really hard for me. This is really, really tough for me. And Jesus is saying, come follow me. Belong. Let me give you those friends that you can be transparent with and say, this is really tough for me. And when you do, you will find a place of rest you have never found before. There's a lady who came to me and she was weeping and her life was falling apart. And I asked her, do you have any friends? And she said, no, I don't have any friends. She said, two years ago when I came to church, I thought about joining a small group, but life was good then. Everything was okay. And she said, I made such a foolish mistake that now that my life has imploded on me, I'm not ready for it because I don't have those friends she had in this idea such a regret that if she had begun to follow the words of Christ, belong, come to me, follow me, get spiritual friends, she would have discovered two years later when she hit a real hard point, because you know you're going to hit a hard point. She would be, find herself at a place of rest and a place of peace 
where you do not have to carry this burden by yourself. Some of you are here this morning at every location, and there is a weight you are carrying. And what Jesus wants you to know is discipleship is the promise. You don't have to carry that alone. We can carry it together. But the flip side of that is there are many of us in this season when the light is on, come follow me, where Jesus is saying, you, be a spiritual friend to somebody. See that person who is carrying a weight alone. See that single mom with three kids. See that married couple that is struggling. See that single adult who's trying to figure out what to do in life. And be an intentional spiritual friend to them so that together we find this amazing place of rest. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Do you have fear and these anxious thoughts? You got to get on the right plane. Because as much as you may have a desire to have that liberated, as much as you may have this passion and this hope that that will take away from you and you can find a place of rest, here's the right place. Come follow me. Belong. Because we were not set up to do this alone. And when we make those steps to belong, we discover, I can navigate life. I can manage life. I can walk through circumstances with a peace because I am not walking alone. Then he uses this second statement. He says, listen, learn from me. Here's the beauty of discipleship. We have this idea that, well, yeah, I've got to learn, and all of a sudden we translate it into, well, discipleship means that I've got to learn all of this religious data. There's all these things I have to learn. And yes, following Jesus means knowing the word and knowing what you believe and why you believe it. But when he says, learn from me, literally what he says there, which you can define it as, he's saying, discover me. Discover who I am. Discipleship means that Jesus' plan for you is radical transformation. It's not, I'm here I got saved, now I'm saved, now I've got to learn all this stuff and I've got to have this kind of a, a understanding and then someday I'll get to heaven. It's like, I got saved, and now he's going, let me radically transform you. Let me change you into who you could never imagine you could be. You ever had a dream for yourself? A dream for how you could be a dad? A dream for how you could be a spouse? Do you ever had a dream for what you could do with your life? When Jesus says, come follow me, learn from me, what he is saying to you, I want that dream to become a reality. And I'm going to help you make that dream a reality where you are so transformed, where you live out your life with this peace and this joy, and circumstances no longer define you. Whether the circumstances are great and you're at the top of the mountain or whether they're bad and you're in the valley, that no longer defines you. There's a strength to your identity. There's a character and an ease. Here's what takes place when you really begin to follow and learn from Jesus. The things we're supposed to do at Christians, sometimes they seem really daunting, don't they? Jesus says, I want you to forgive your neighbor who makes fun of you. I don't want to forgive my neighbor. I want to slap my neighbor. I want you to give generously. I don't want to give generously. 
I would rather buy my Jeep that I can't afford because I'm giving generously. I want you to serve. Oh, I'm already so busy. And here's how we wrongly think. I should do these things. I should forgive. I should serve. I should give. And even though I don't want to, that's what I should do. So I try to muster up the energy to be that kind of person and do those kinds of things. And I may even do it, but if I'm doing it out of that spirit, then I begin to get bitter and angry. I actually begin to be resentful about my Christianity. I gotta do these things. Why? Somehow in heaven, when it doesn't matter, it'll pay off. And here's what Jesus is saying. That is completely the wrong thought. Learn from me, meaning let me transform you into the person who giving is easy. Being generous flows out of you with great happiness. Forgiving just flows. When Jesus was on the cross, dying was hard. Forgiving was easy. Because that's who he was. That was his identity. He's going, now come and learn from me. And if you are here and you are struggling in being the kind of Christian you think you should be, let the Lord surprise you this morning. He's not looking for you to have behavior modification. He's looking to transform you into this person where the behavior is so easy, where there's a lightness to it, where there's a grace to it. This is his approach to transformation. He does in this passage what he almost never does. He describes himself. I have a gentle, humble heart. He's going, do not fall into the trap of discipleship, being this harsh religious performance where you know this must be the standard, how do I achieve that? There's some of you here, let's be honest, because there is an enemy at every location and you have this thought at times, I didn't read my Bible and pray these two days. I really can't pray. God won't answer my prayer because I haven't been devout enough. Luke gets up here and says, hey, we're going to fast for two weeks. And it's a wonderful thing and an important thing to do. But some of you are struggling going, what if I don't do it right? Will that mess the whole thing up? And the enemy whispers into your ear, you got to achieve what God wants for you. It's like a lever you got to pull, and then it'll happen. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Discipleship? I have a gentle, humble heart. And my means of transportation is so different. My means of transformation is so different. So at the end of last year, I wanted to kind of put myself on a journey for 2023. I always kind of give myself a challenge as to what I will do to grow more closer to Christ. So I decided that in 2023, I would take every month and I'd take one discipline, one spiritual discipline, and really apply myself to it. So in January, my spiritual discipline was the Sabbath. I'm really gonna apply myself towards taking a Sabbath. And in December, I started making plans for it. And honestly, here's where my thought process went. Now, I've been at this thing called Christianity for decades, but my thought process went this. Okay, I'm gonna take a Sabbath, and here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna go into my religious cave, 
I'm going to pray six hours a day. I'm going to fast during that time. I'm going to get my big, fat King James Bible version with me, and I'm really going to press into God, and then I'm going to come out of that Sabbath, and God's going to be so impressed with what I did. And I begin to drift into this thought that doing that, taking that Sabbath, that is what's going to position me in a place where now God will like me and answer my prayers. And I've been at this for 40 years. It's like the Holy Spirit just nudged me. I began to read about the Sabbath in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I discovered that it was meant as this delightful thing. It's like you have a week, take one day and pretend like it's heaven. All the other six days you gotta work, you gotta do your stuff, but take one day and make it holy and pretend like it's heaven. And the Holy Spirit kinda asked me this question, Joel, what would you like to do for a day in heaven? And my answer was really easy. My two grandsons, Jesus and me, what a great day that would be. I had to apologize to my wife, but nonetheless, my two grandsons, <laughs> Jesus and me. And instead of going into my religious cave, I took my two boys to the beach. We delighted in God's nature. We talked about Jesus, we prayed to Jesus, he was there with us, we played, we wrestled, we swam. And Jesus was so smiling on us. Learn from me. He wants to transform you. He wants to take that weight off of you so there's no weariness and there isn't that burden. He says, learn from me, and he wants to put you on this beautiful journey. The Bible describes this at glory to glory. That's the nature of the spirit journey. He goes, what does that look like? I'll tell you a story that illustrates it, all right? I've traveled a lot, and you get used to a routine of traveling, and I was traveling to a country where the airline didn't have it on your, on your phone for the boarding pass, so I had to wait in line. I was flying economy, which is okay, but it's a long line for economy. It's a very small line for business class, but that's okay. I get in the economy line. I wait to check in. I check in. I get my boarding pass. They stick it in my passport, and because I'm so used to the routine, so natural in expectations, I didn't look at my boarding pass, and they had upgraded me to first class, but I didn't know. So I take my passport with the boarding pass, and I go to security. Really short line for first class. Really long line for economy. And I'm standing in economy, and I'm looking over there going, oh, man, it would be nice to be in that short line. And I'm trying to have a positive attitude, and I hand the boarding pass to, this, to the agent there and the passport. I still don't look at it. I go through security, all that labor. I get my passport, my boarding pass. I haven't looked at my boarding pass yet. I think I'm flying economy. I have been upgraded to first class. I walk past the first class lounge. Have you ever been in one of these lounges? The doors just mysteriously, bzzz, they open to give me a peek inside. And I see these nice, comfortable lounges and all this space, and people are having food and drinks. There's like a party going on in there. And I'm just going, oh. And I go sit in one of those little tiny little chairs working for my flight, not realizing I've been upgraded because I haven't looked at my boarding pass. It's time to get on the plane. I get into the economy line because you know all the important people get to go on first. And then you have to walk the walk of shame past the important people to get to your little seat, right? I go through all of this, but when I get to the gate of the plane and I hand my boarding pass, which I have not looked at, the flight attendant goes, oh, Mr. Home, this way. And I said, no, you're wrong, because I've flown a lot. I know which direction economy is. 
I said, it's this way. She goes, no, no, Mr. Holm. You have a first-class seat. You're in row 2B. Ooh. It's like the heavens opened up and the angels began to sing. And I thought to myself, I missed out on so much because I never looked at the boarding pass. Can I tell you something? You've been upgraded. That's what discipleship is. And the transformation is looking at his word and discovering his promises and discovering your identity and walking into every blessing he has for you. But if you don't look at the word, if you don't look at that revelation, then there's no transformation and you don't walk in all that Jesus has for you. If your definition of discipleship is I've got to do these things to achieve some kind of status with God, you'll see yourself always just living in economy. Jesus says, no, no, I have this gentle and humble heart and I'm going to see you transformed where you will be the person that you've always dreamed to be. I saw a bumper sticker one time, be the person your dog thinks you are. It's really profound. <laughs> Be the person God dreams you are. This is what the transformation is. And if you're here or wherever you're at, and you're honest, and you go, you know, I got caught into that trap. I'm trying to do these things. But my heart behind it is somehow to prove to God that I'm worthy of his activity. Jesus says, come to me. Let me give you rest. Learn from me, because you know what? My heart, it's gentle. It's not harsh. I want to see you transformed. But then he adds this third, very important line to it. He says, take my yoke upon you. You go, oh yeah, now we get to the hard part, right? Discipleship is the reality that Jesus has a purpose for your life. And Jesus uses this metaphor of a yoke. We have a picture of what this would look like in the ancient world. This is a yoke. You'll notice that it has room for two oxen. And Jesus is creating this picture. He's saying, I'm one of those carrying this. You're another one. In the ancient world, they would always put a very mature, strong, wise oxen with a very immature, weak, young oxen. And the mature, wise oxen would teach and develop and help the young, immature oxen be able to be a part of a work that on their own, that young, immature oxen could never be a part of. And he's going, this is a picture. I have a purpose for your life but I'm actually gonna be right there next to you. I'm gonna be side by side with you and I'm going to be doing the heavy lifting in the purpose for your life. Everybody wants their life to count. Everybody wants their life to matter. But when we are alone, sometimes it seems so daunting that we're just trying to survive through each day. Jesus actually said this about himself with the Father. When the religious leader said, why are you doing what you're doing? He says, don't look at me. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only do what the Father speaks to me or what the Father is doing. And he understood this metaphor of this yoke. And there's a picture here of Jesus saying, I have a purpose for your life that will blow your mind, but you're not going to be alone in doing this. I'll do the heavy lifting. Now, make no mistake about it. With discipleship and a yoke, 
there is work to be done. Christianity is a pursuit where he gives us rest and peace. Discipleship means there's a transformation of our identity. But there is work to be done. That's why we use the word build. The question is, which ox are you trying to be? Because if you try to be the one that's in control, that has all the strength, that knows what they're doing with all the maturity, you will find yourself so struggling under a laborious burden that Jesus never designed for you. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For who would ever save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Don't misread this passage. Because there's like these two kind of warring themes. Take up your cross. Discover life. Take up your cross. Give up your life. Discover life. They don't seem to work together. What Jesus is saying is when you follow me, there will be a sacrifice. There will be a, cro a cross. There will be a cost. But get this, in that sacrifice, in that cost, you're actually going to discover real life. We live in a society that says, protect your life. Guard very carefully your life. And when we buy into that philosophy, we never really discover true life. I use myself as an example. For many years, especially when our kids were little, I traveled a lot. I was going to Russia and to Africa and to Asia. And I take a picture of my kids and my wife. I was gone 70, 80 nights a year. And when I was in a hotel or a little motel somewhere, I would put it on the nightstand and I wasn't home. And it was hard. As a dad, not being able to kiss your kids goodnight was really hard. And if I didn't understand this idea of take up your cross, I could have quickly gotten bitter, resentful. Why can't I be home? There was a challenge to my faith. Could God parent my children with my wife as a single parent 70 nights out of the year? But as my wife and myself and our family walked into what we knew was our purpose, do you know what we discovered? This amazing grace of God. This grace that just fell on our family where our kids were fine. This grace that gave me a strength to be away 70 nights a year. When you pick up your cross, when you build, when you say, okay, Lord, I am in, send me. There is a cost to be paid, but you will never really fully discover the amazing, abundant grace of Jesus until you discover it in this sphere of discipleship. You may discover grace when you follow him and you belong. You may discover grace when you believe. But it is only when you recognize, yes, this side of eternity, there's a sacrifice, but in that sacrifice, there is a life waiting for me. There is a life that nothing else can build. There is this amazing grace that is coming for me. I discover this grace. Remember Jesus said, my yoke is easy and light. And you find life. Some of you are here. And the Holy Spirit is nudging you. Come on. Get on the plane. 
build my kingdom. But you see the potential sacrifice. I got to show up to church at 7 in the morning. I got to be in this class with kids to show them the life of Christ. And you're hesitant because you're protecting your life. And what you don't know is you've actually bought into the greatest lie that only when you give up your life for others, you really discover a life that Jesus has for you where you are energized, where you are fully alive. Years ago, we bought a house and I wanted to put a patio in the back of the house. And I'm not a builder. I'm a destroyer, but I'm not a builder. So I did what every idiot male does. I looked at who would build it for the cheapest, and I hired this guy. His name was Gary. Gary came the first day to do the job, told me it would be a two-week job. He brought all of his building supplies, laid it all in our backyard, and he was supposed to build a patio. He was there the first day. He was there the second day, and then he disappeared. It was like five days went by. And I called him up. I said, Gary, what's going on? No, 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 I'll be there, Joel, I'll be there. He showed the next day, and he was there for one day. And then he disappeared for like four days. And he kept kind of this rhythm, maybe he'd be there for a day or two, and then he would disappear. At first, I'm trying to be gracious about it. Fast forward four months. And a two-week job is now four months, and it really hasn't made any progress, and my backyard still has all these building supplies. I am no longer gracious. Now I am calling fire down on Gary's life. Burn him, Lord. Fry him. <laughs> and honestly, one day, the Holy Spirit whispered to me. And here's what the conversation went like. Joel, do you really think I care about your patio? You really think that's what's important to me? I have a child who's going through real hard times, and I brought Gary into your path. Not for your patio, but for him. You see, I had been protecting myself. I paid Gary a good down payment. I wanted this patio. It was about my life. And I hadn't seen who God had brought across my path. The next time Gary showed up, I had a completely different approach. I brought out some iced tea. I said, tell me what's going on. In a moment, he told me he was an alcoholic. And he would have these binges like alcoholics do. And he'd disappear. His son had just been convicted three years sentenced in prison for selling drugs. The year before, he had gone through a horrible divorce. His life was completely falling apart, and he had no hope. And I was so caught up in my patio that I didn't have the eyes to see him. I was not building. And God, in his graciousness, just brought me back. She'll get on the plane. I brought him here. We were able to build a friendship. I was able to coach him through some stuff. He accepted the Lord as a Savior. Now, I want to tell you what happened to me. I became fully alive. All of a sudden, the patio became so insignificant. Here was a life that God had used me to transform. I was so fully alive. I had lost my life, but I had really discovered my life. That's the promise of build. That's the promise of take my yoke upon you, where you become fully alive. We are Christians who have an eternity, not just for this earth. Look at this hourglass metaphor on the screens. This is a picture. This is a picture of how we look at life. It's a sand clock. And we look at this life. You guys got that picture to put up? We look at this life, and we see this, right? And we always look at the top half. And if you're young, you've got so much sand, you don't even think about it. When you get to my age, the sand's kind of leaning down. 
You begin to look at the top half. But here's what discipleship is. Here's what it means to be a Christ follower. We do not look at the top half. We look at the bottom half. Every day I'm coming more and more alive. Every day I'm getting more faith. Every day I'm getting more joy. Every day I'm getting more peace. Like money put into a bank account, I am becoming more and more alive. My physical body may be wearing out, but do not be deceived. God's plan for me is to be alive. And he says, listen, build. It may look like you're losing your life, but you will go from looking at the top half to looking at the bottom half. And every day will be a greater awareness of life because it is no longer defined by a patio, it's now defined by a person. Some of us in here need to be surprised by this thing called discipleship. Because we see it as this, oh, wait to achieve a status so somehow God will respond to us. Jesus this morning wants to surprise you. His priority is your rest. He wants to transform you. Well, the things we do as Christians, they're easy because of who we are. And he has a purpose for you that will give you such a sense of being alive on this planet, such a sense of his grace. If you're here at any location, and you say, Joel, you've described me. I'm exhausted. I'm so tired. I don't have the mental bandwidth or the physical bandwidth to do anything more. You, you've described me. I can't imagine that I could be a better person. It just seems too hard. You've described me. I'm protecting my life. Listen to these words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Would you bow your heads with me, please, at every location? I want to give you a moment with Jesus. A moment to say, Lord, I'm ready. He is saying, come follow me. And you are ready. You're ready to get on the right plane. For some of you, that means, for the first time ever, you are acknowledging him as your Lord and Savior. And you are giving your life to him, what the Bible calls being born again. You are trusting his death and his resurrection, and you're saying, Jesus, my life now belongs to you. And that's your first step to getting on this plane. For others of you who are Christians, it's like you're saying, I'm not going to sit at the airport anymore. I'm ready to belong I'm ready to believe. I'm so ready to build. I'm just going to give you a moment. The Spirit of God is so present. Listen to what he has to say to you. And from your heart, make that statement with your own words 
to him to discover rest and peace and transformation and purpose. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you were encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life. And we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at any of our Auckland campuses. If you're not in Auckland, then check us out, Church Online, wherever you are in the world. Just head to lifenz.org or download the Life app to stay connected and find out more.